Welcome back to Further Explanation, the Taylor Swift podcast. I'm Kaya. And I'm your other co-host, Callie. There may be no further explanation by Taylor, but there will be from us. Before we get into this episode, we hit 1,000 streams, total streams for the podcast. So that's crazy, you guys. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so glad that you guys are enjoying this because we really love recording these episodes and talking with you. So that's just a really cool thing that you're doing. So continue to do that, please. So we have a really special episode for you today. We are talking about Midnight Rain as a torch that illuminates the inner psyche of our songwriter. It acts almost as a glossary of sorts to help contextualize the rest of Taylor Swift's discography and who our narrator truly is, with all her opposing forces, complexities, and unique aptitude for self-exploration. Without Midnight Rain and the deductions made through the song, you're not able to fully realize the map that is the rest of her music. In other words, it's a punchline with no setup. We're going to go through all of the songs that kind of make up this whole puzzle piece, uh, but it, we go all the way through her discography. So A Place in This World, Love Story of Mine, and You're on Your Own Kid, name a few. So let's just get right into it. We're going to start at the beginning of her discography and work our way through to help you really understand that when Taylor says she is Midnight Rain, what does that mean? And what perspective is she approaching her music with. And something I'm really excited about this episode is that we're going to kind of look at Taylor's music without really assigning who the songs are about, because that's really not important. It's just about the narrator and her feelings in these songs. So we're just going to shift that focus for you. So if you look at, you know, how Taylor started writing and what she was really writing about, we think of songs like Love Story and, you know, You Belong With Me and like probably songs on Red. Like if you think about her early career and the big hits that she had and like what people knew her as and what she was writing about, she was writing she about- She was the girl who sang about love and breakups and yeah. love. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of how people came to understand her. But if you look at her debut album, she really wasn't writing about love that much on the debut album, like her early career. And even if you look at, you know, so many unreleased songs that we have heard from the debut, you know, that time period when she was first writing for her first record, she was writing about her ambition and she was writing about her dreams. Songs like Just South of Knowing Why and uh, Lucky You and all these songs that were about feeling different and feeling unique and feeling like she had something to prove to herself about herself and something to kind of acclaim and someone to become. She had a bigger purpose that was beyond just the boy that sat next to her in class. So let's start with debut. Of Taylor's earlier work, so I would I would categorize that as like debut through red. Her self-titled debut album might be one of her least romantic-centric albums. Let's start with A Place in This World. We'll, I'm just gonna kind of like read off some of these lyrics and then we'll sort of like explain what they mean and the point we're trying to make with these songs that we're calling out to. So a place in this world, she says, I don't know what I want, so don't ask me because I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm alone on my own and that's all I know. I'm just a girl trying to find a place in this world. And then in the second verse, she goes on to say, wearing my heart on my sleeve, tomorrow's just a mystery, but that's okay. So she starts off this song a bit uncertain, but as the song progresses, she starts to kind of take awareness of her surroundings and take note of her own disposition in the second verse. The last bit of new information we get is that short bridge where Taylor says she's on a mission and ready to fly. 
She's more sure of herself now. She's not questioning her ambition. While in other songs throughout the album, we hear Taylor scorn cheating exes and pie away for boys that she sat next to in class. This song is really introspective and it's more about her place in this world and where she feels like she fits and it's not where she is now. So it's something she's searching for. You know, some people feel content with the life they're born into and she didn't. The line wearing my heart on my sleeve made me think of this, but it's Mm -hmm. like she references like she's always kind of had that hopeless romantic persona Mm -hmm. since she was really young. And it became kind of what she was known for, which is romance and love and breakups. But it was just kind of a piece of the puzzle, I think you said. Mm. And it's almost something that she used to further identify herself. And the wearing my heart on my sleeve line, it's like the vulnerability that she has, which kind of goes hand in hand with falling in love easily and Mm. break and burn and end and all that. But it's still something that... It's a characteristic about herself more than anything else Mm -hmm. that she... And it's also, like, kind of relates to being a teenage girl or a young girl in the world. You want to be able to be vulnerable and wear your heart on your sleeve, but it's really hard. And you get a lot of consequences for that that are unfair. And we see that kind of take its course over her life, too. Yeah. But that's a good starting place for the debut album where she began. So then we're going to move into the Fearless album. There are actually a lot of vault tracks that really come into play with this storyline. I'm going to out myself as someone who does not know the words to a lot of these (laughs) vault tracks yet. (laughs) No, I I don't listen to a lot of the Fearless vault tracks. However, I was listening to Fearless on vinyl and I was listening and I was thinking about some of these lyrics and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I've never like noticed that because I don't listen to it really. Then when I had this thought the other day about her being Midnight Rain, I was like, whoa, 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 wait. There's some interesting stuff in here. So let's parse through it. (laughs) So in You All Over Me, um, there's a lyric that says swore that i'd get out of here and then she also says but no amount of freedom gets you clean which i will come back to that later so just hold on to that so she says swore that i'd get out of here so she i mean she's singing about this person that she you know this breakdown of a relationship and i thought it was interesting that she included this line of swore that i'd get out of here but i'm still missing you um and then in we were happy she says before i had somewhere to be back when we had all night And then she sings, oh, I hate those voices telling me I'm not in love, but they don't give me choices. So some parallels here to Back to December. She sings about breaking someone's heart because she left, except the reason for her leaving in this song seems to be those bigger dreams of mine that she sings about on 15, or for swearing that she'd get out of here, but found that no amount of that freedom erased the memory of this person she still hated to say goodbye to, even if she knew it was the right thing for her. So We Were Happy is kind of like this first song that she sings about where she grapples with her ambition being the reason that she had to end a relationship. And then in 15, she sings laughing at the other girls who think they're so cool. We'll be out of here as soon as we can. So that is a line that in 15 that I think is really often overlooked. I was thinking about that specific line a few days ago, actually. Really? It's so funny. And I was thinking about how... A lot of her fans now wouldn't are get the that. cool girls. They're literally the cool <laughs> girls. They're the girls who think they're so cool, and they don't relate to that at all. Because there yeah. were that's <laughs> that's a specific perspective of being in high school. 
you know how that feels if you know how it feels. Mm-hmm. Laughing at the other girls who think they're so cool. They're having their moment now. It's not, <laughs> we're over on the corner, you know, laughing at them. But really, we're just like ready to get out of here so we can have our own place. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's a very important line. Yeah, so we'll be out of here as soon as we can. So like that, the layers in that, she's saying so much in that line. Mm-hmm. We'll get out of. We'll be out of here as soon as we can. Like she's looking past high school. She's looking past, you know, kind of the frivolity. Frivolity? Is that a word? I don't know. Frivolous. <laughs> she's looking past the frivolousness of, <laughs> um, you know, youth and the fleeting things that you kind of chase when you're like 16, 17 in. years old. Yeah, and fitting in and just wanting to be liked by your peers. She doesn't didn't care about that. She wanted something else. She wasn't looking to the people around her. She was looking to the people above her and the people ahead of her and where she was gonna go after she got out of high school. She sings, I found time can heal most anything and you just might find who you're supposed to be. She's kind of prefacing. I mean, this is, it's so crazy because at that time when she wrote that, this was her passing on this, you know, this thing she learned to all of her younger fans, the people listening, the younger girls who were going through this. But it also kind of foreshadows, you know, everything else she's gonna go on to write about. And, you know, that's something you can only say now in hindsight, having seen everything she's written about. But she's literally telling the listener, time will heal the hurt. So don't ever let the fear of getting hurt stop you from finding out who you are becoming and who you're supposed to be. This was her first dear reader moment, I would say, in her Mm -hmm. catalog. The first song where she's directly addressing her listener and trying to impart some wisdom. And A Place in This World really stands out as a song that's, it's very first person. And like it's all about her coming of age and grappling with all these things that she will go on to reflect on in Fearless and Speak Now especially. So now we're gonna move into Speak Now. We start off with mine. Let's take out this lyric, brace myself for the goodbye because that's all I've ever known. Her outlook on love has already changed so much since Love Story, You Belong With Me, and Fearless. She no longer sees love as the thing that will keep her safe, but rather the thing she can't control. So she's kind of got this skeptic view on love at this point in her life. And then if you look at Mean, so, you know, we all know someday I'll be living in a big old city. And then she also says, someday I'll be big enough so you can't hit me. When this critic comes after her, she doesn't take it as... Well, I don't deserve that. She says, well, someday I'll be (laughs) so big that when you say things like that, it won't matter. She's looking ahead. She's redirecting focus off of this small person and back onto her ambitions. I mean, and think about that, like laughing at the other girls who think they're so cool. We'll be out of here as soon as we can. Like that she's always shifting focus, redirecting focus. Just a very interesting quality about her. Um, And then let's look at long live. So she says, we will be remembered. Bring on all the pretenders I'm not afraid. I had the time of my life fighting dragons with you. Pretty much the whole bridge asking these people to stand by her yeah. forever. She is begging to not be forgotten, to be recalled fondly for what she loved the most, which is music and performing that music for the fans. Which is why it's so silly that the narrative was that, oh, this love-struck, lovesick girl who's just hung up on boys, whatever, like... We knew from the beginning that's not even the case because the first album was not about that. Mm -hmm. And when she's writing about love and romance, it's it's just so easy to belittle what teenage girls feel and what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And it was obvious what she what had been done to her. It's insane that the main thing about her that people used to say during this time was that she has she's a serial dater. She has tons of boyfriends or whatever. And like 
it's just insane. Like, you weren't even listening at all. Mm-hmm. But that's just how girls are treated. Yeah. And this also reminds me of um, that video. I think we talked about it. That video before the concert, I think it was the Fearless tour. And she was like, I trust you and I will always trust you guys. This, you have my trust forever. She was talking to like her uh, her bandmates and everyone in the circle mm-hmm. before the show. The last night and of the Fearless like, tour. Mm-hmm. And she was like, like, she said something like, this is the love of my One life. One true like, love this. I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah, and all of you are a part of that. And, like, that's such that's so powerful to just see the value in art and in the little communities that they made together mm-hmm. and in things that are just so much bigger and more important than just individual romances or whatever, yeah. which are special. And she obviously, she always valued them as special, but she always had a bigger purpose than that. Mm-hmm. It just was a piece of it. Mm-hmm. So, basically, love is something that she used almost as a vessel to just to further understand herself and the world she lived in and her own feelings. It's special because it, it just is special, but also because of what she can create from her experiences with love and romance. Mm-hmm. And also the power of vulnerability, especially in a world that will, pun- will punish especially girls for feeling. Mm-hmm. And she kind of used it as her own power. She is not the muse. She's the somebody, yeah. (laughs) And um, you can't just be like a surface level, oh yeah, Taylor Swift, she's the girl with all those breakup songs, to Mm -hmm. understand, to get this perspective on it. And also, it helps probably to have the teenage girl experience. Mm -hmm. Or just any experience where you feel like you've been put into a box. Next, we have Red. And Reg was definitely, I mean, it's so interesting to talk about the shifts between each album, because like you said, Fearless to Speak Now, she had more of a cynical perspective on love and whatever. Red, she felt like she was becoming more of an adult. Speak Now, she was like coming of age. She was Mm -hmm. like 19. Yeah. 1920. And Red, she was now in this new world, the adult world. And also, you know, I'll I'll kind of touch on this here in a minute, but she was going through this transition and also having her first real adult heartbreak. So like the timing of it it was just two really big, you know, adult Mm -hmm. experiences she was having all at the Mm -hmm. same time. And to put out an album that's basically the theme of it is about love and heartbreak. I mean, that was a theme throughout all her music, but this is her breakup album that everyone mm-hmm. refers to and kind of cemented her legacy as as what what people saw her as an artist mm-hmm. and it's so funny because i know like everybody would always say that she just writes breakup songs but i mean this is really the only album that's got all those breakup songs on it the rest of her albums are a bit more they're not like i don't know i guess people are just they play a little too loose with the word breakup song <laughs> I think. Yeah. But cuz it just means whatever the song is like yeah. to call to call Last Kiss a breakup song is so mm-hmm. it's so belittling. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I never really heard breakup song as a term really as, as much until like Taylor. Mm. <laughs> I feel like but I guess I was really really young before Taylor, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like she kind of like became associated with the term breakup song. Well, yeah, cuz people didn't care about that really until no. she started writing music and especially because it's just like old men who were like people worshipped and they wrote breakup songs all the time but no one called them breakup songs it was just good songs (laughs) so the first song on red that we're gonna pull from is nothing new a few lyrics from that that kind of stood out to me are will you still want me when i'm nothing new are we only biding time until i lose your attention and someone else lights up the room people love an ingenue 
She'll know the way, and then she'll say she got the map from me. I'll say I'm happy for her, then I'll cry myself to sleep. I wonder if they'll miss me when they drive me out. So, and nothing new. It's so crazy because we only got this song like a year, two years ago. And (laughs) it added so much nuance and context and just insight, I think, into how she felt at this time. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like we said, Red had a lot of songs about love and heartbreak. But you could also, there was this really clear perspective that she was writing all of these songs from, you know, like not to just categorize them as love and heartbreak songs, but you could really see the perspective shift that she had in all of these songs. She just had a different view of things. She had a different view of herself, a different view of people coming in and out of her life, a different view on, I think, what she wanted. And she was kind of like, is this path that I'm on the exact path that I want to stay on? Is this path going to cause me some turmoil? Is like, how sustainable is this? Are they going to tolerate me doing this as long as I want to do this? I remember she talked a lot during that time about like, you know, when everyone gets sick of me, I'll, I'll bow out gracefully and I'll just write Mm -hmm. songs for other people. She didn't know how long she was going to be able to keep doing this. She's grappling with the fleetiness of her fame and her success, especially having been a young woman who found fame and success at such a young age. Um, And then these two songs really just like kind of go hand in hand to me. The lucky one. Um, You had it figured out since you were in school. Everybody loves pretty. Everybody loves cool. All the, no, fuck, not all the other girls. <laughs> well, Sorry, beautiful. La- <laughs> <laughs> laughing at the other girls who think they're so cool. We'll be out of mm-hmm. here as soon as we can. Everybody loves pretty. Everybody loves cool. And you also think of that interview where she's, which was more recent, where she was like, I'm not naturally cool, attractive. Like, edgy, whatever she said, edgy, like sexy. edgy. Yeah, all those things that are mm-hmm. very, like, sought after in popular culture. And she was like, what are you naturally? Like, intelligent, kind, creative, like creative, yeah. And then she sings Another Name Goes Up in Lights. You wonder if you'll make it out alive. Uh, Chose the Rose Garden over Madison Square. And it took some time, but I understand it now. Let me tell you now, you're the lucky one. So in the lucky one, she says that this person who took the money and got the hell out is the lucky one. She flips that in the song, you know. Let me tell you now, you're the lucky one. But this person made a choice to leave and taylor has never done that but her relationship to fame has changed from this point probably not entirely but her appreciation i like today her appreciation has changed i think Mm -hmm. later on as we keep going uh you'll see how she's kind of reclaimed her decision and is proud of how much she's been able to overcome uh, kind of carve out a place for herself but they don't let you do that super easily especially as a young woman who's so bold and vulnerable in her songwriting The Lucky One is interesting considering that she wrote it at this point and she probably really relates to it now, but just in a different way. And like I said, you'll kind of see that shift as we go through the rest of her her, uh, catalog. But she's got a level of confidence now about her place that she didn't have, her place within the industry and her relationship to her fame that she didn't have then. And like I said, the lyrics of this album are all written by a person who's in the midst of going from young person problems to adult problems and it's a really formative time period 
Okay, so then we move on to 1989. Interestingly enough, there's really only one song on 1989 that I pulled. 1989 is interesting for a lot of reasons. I was very surprised by that because, you know, you would think, especially the way she talked about this album, say what you're going to say. In the book I was reading, it was talking about irony and Mm -hmm. how you think you've elevated beyond a certain level of consciousness, so you lean into irony. And a lot of, like, rich people especially, and, like, young, disaffected, (laughs) like, well-off people in the modern age, earnest and honest and all that stuff is down here. And then you elevate beyond that, and you can be ironic, you can be sarcastic, you can be cheeky, you can be all these things that are, like, looking down on, like, just the bare level of just being honest. And I feel like 1989 was kind of that for her a little bit. It was a lot of, like, Mm. I'm not going to be just earnest with my emotions and just soul pouring out anymore. I'm going to step back and kind of have an air of cool almost, which is, like she said, she never felt like she ever was. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to write about things in a way that makes me feel a little bit detached from it. And I'm going to play up my own emo- my own emotions and my own experiences almost as a joke to make it over the top so that no one can really make fun of me for it. Mm. I feel like that's why when you dig deep into 1989, obviously there's very honest and emotional songs, but nothing like we are never ever getting back together, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is it's a it like it has a little bit of humor in it, but it's genuine. Like she's being genuine, and she's also making fun of people who make fun of people. <laughs> it's like, indie record that's much cooler than mine. Like, yeah, your indie record's not going to have anyone singing never, ever, 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 you know. <laughs> but it's how I feel, and I'm going to do it because it'll just annoy you. <laughs> and I'm down here on the level one with the honest people, and I'm okay with it. And so, 1989, that, that's, that's how I see it. And I mm. think that's probably why when you dig deep into it, you can't really find as much just, like, things to unfold about her mm-hmm. because it was almost like okay i'm gonna do this now i'm gonna put up this image of my yeah. life and of of my album i'm so curious like I, w- I really would like to take a poll of like i don't know when you guys became fans um i love hearing people's opinions on 1989 and like also knowing when they became fans because mm-hmm. i think the level of enjoyment that people can have with that album kind of depends on where in the timeline you dropped in and how deep you dropped in like Mm -hmm. did you drop in and you were immediately like a huge diehard fan or did you drop in and you kind of like slowly became a fan over the course Mm -hmm. of a couple album cycles just very interesting which we will talk more about that i'm sure when we do like a full 1989 album discussion and breakdown but it's really insightful it's very interesting thank you and she was definitely becoming more aware of her persona and, like, mm-hmm. how to craft it however she wanted mm-hmm. it, honestly. Yeah. Like, that was the time period where she was like, I'm going to make the joke first mm-hmm. because then you can't hit me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that. that's kind of her, in her mind at this time, that was how she was going to be big enough so that people couldn't hit her. And she shifted to pop. And that totally changed mm-hmm. her entire career. Yeah. <laughs> She immersed herself. I mean, she was always immersed in celebrity culture, but she really, like, never before, like, she was one of these celebrities on the It it Girl list or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she, squad. like, embraced it. Yeah. 
So in 1989, we can kind of look at Welcome to New York. And there's not really any specific lyrics in this song, but you can kind of... That is what Kaya was saying about this being her pop record and her, you know, immersing this is herself her into... in a big old city. So, yes, exactly. In this mm-hmm. song, she moves to that big old city. This is where, as we heard in Mean, Taylor thinks she can become big enough to feel protected by the naysayers and the people who take away, can take away this fame that she's worked for. When you're smaller, that spotlight can more easily be taken off of you and moved to someone else. But mm-hmm. Taylor wanted to be so big that it would always be touching her. <laughs> and I respect her for that. <laughs> you know, if that's what someone she has wanted. to. <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, someone has to be that big. Mm. <laughs> I was like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This next one might come as a surprise. I didn't pull anything from Reputation. Well, that album is a very. I mean, obviously, she addressed her fame and everything, and it's where 1989 was kind of laid back and cool. Reputation was very in your face and camp, which I, which is why I prefer Reputation. Mm-hmm. But it also, like, all the intimate things where she wasn't putting on a persona or anything, it was basically just about getting into a relationship with Joe. Mm. Which isn't... I mean, it's kind of applicable to Midnight Rain. Well, can you say that again but not say Joe? Getting into a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just, I mean... It's just, I know who it is, so... (laughs) Well, I just, I'm trying to talk about it without making it about the people that she's writing about but that was like her i mean that's the main relationship that she's had one consistent relationship for all these albums so Mm -hmm. and this was this start of it where she was really like going deep Mm -hmm. so i i couldn't really find anything um from reputation or say that again without saying joe that's hilarious i might keep that in the episode just so that can become further explanation lore oh my god (laughs) our Um, inside jokes are now lore (laughs) um i think i'm gonna start calling our listeners i'm gonna start calling you guys further explanation oh my god i can't believe you just said that We got Taylor Nation and further explanation. <laughs> I never said I was cool, you guys, okay? I've been a Taylor Savant for a really long time. Um, so yeah, I didn't pull anything from Reputation or Lover. It's kind of like she was retreating into a relationship, which mm-hmm. is kind of the antithesis of the theme of Midnight Rain, which is I'm my own thing. But this was like, oh, I've discovered it. What it really is, is me getting into this relationship and creating our own little place where we can be safe. Mm-hmm. But it was also because fame had had just turned on her. Mm-hmm. So I understand that she needed solace and she needed she needed something. Actually, I probably should have pulled these lyrics from Call It What You Want, where she says, My castle crumbled overnight. I brought a mm-hmm. knife to a gunfight. It took the crown, but it's all right. She had to kind of accept the that fragility that she was fearing on mm-hmm. Red and like nothing new. She kind of had to accept that, okay, they might have taken this from me. At, mm-hmm. at, to, to some capacity, they have taken it. She had to more find acceptance within herself because I think she was relying too much on, and not just like from the fans, but she was relying on just like the public 
opinion. Yeah, because think about the shift from 1989 era to the Reputation era. Yeah. Like, where she was getting her validation and her fuel and everything was totally external from from fame and from being mm-hmm. well-liked and popular. And then Reputation was, she had to kind of go back inward. She just had to work through her relationship with fame. And she just was doing that at the same time that she was entering a relationship with somebody who helped make her feel safe. And this person also was nowhere near the level of fame that she had. So it was, mm-hmm. she kind of was like, wait, I can I can make choices for what I want my life to look like and where I want the validation to come from. And it kind of helped her reorient herself. Um, so yeah, I didn't pull anything from those, but I probably should have pulled that from Call It What You Want. And then Lover, I don't, I don't think there was really anything, um, anything, God forbid I have to read the lyrics of Daylight and see if she says anything in there. Since when you don't like that song? I just feel like it's a little too on the nose. I don't really like it either. I just didn't it know kind you of, like it. <laughs> it's like, it sounds like she was trying to write New Year's Day again or something. I don't know. Like, I just, I can't. There's I do like There's the only outro, room though. enough in this town for one album-ending ballad. This may be the least amount of evolution from album to album, from Reputation to Lover. Not musically, but just in her life. She's still in her little retreat. There wasn't that much evolution, except she was like, the shift for this is going to be from dark to light. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me just say there was, and then another shift, there wasn't much of a shift to Lover, but there was a shift to Folklore. I think when that opportunity for her to tour and do that thing that made her so happy in the Reputation era, I mean, the tour is really what made her so happy. And when, you know, she wasn't able to tour with Lover... And she immediately started writing folklore. She was like, well, what am I going to do? This is the thing that makes me the most happy. This is the thing that I care Mm -hmm. about the most, you know? What did she Mm -hmm. say? I had the time of my life fighting dragons with you. The time of her Mm -hmm. life is not with any just one partner or romantic interest. It's performing the music and connecting with the fans that listen to her her art. Um, So the song I pulled from Evermore that might be a bit surprising is Marjorie. The lyric that I pulled from that is all your closets of backlogged dreams and how you left them all to me. Especially now that we we know that Taylor pulled that onto the set list for the Eras tour shows how important this song and that lyric is. You know, in the song, Taylor reveals that she sees herself as having filled her grandmother's shoes and followed in her footsteps. Like she's carrying on this legacy and finishing what her grandmother started in a way. So just kind of knowing that in Taylor's psyche, that that is connected to her. I'm surprised you didn't mention peace. I feel like you skipped folklore and everywhere a little bit. There's a lot going on there. Like she said it was fictional, but you know, it a lot of it was direct inspiration from her own feelings. I did not pull anything because it was fictional. I just, I'm not saying that this is a, an exhaustive list here so yeah peace definitely fits in that that i think is the first time that she really reveals her struggle with like this is the life i have and is that gonna work for you and we we can see what she chooses in the end you know we know that Mm -hmm. now what she chooses also mirrorball she's directly addressing maybe there's some things i need to (laughs) need to think about here about like why 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 am i what is this need for why am Validation i writing an and... entire album right now when you know the world shut yeah. down she and it, it she's made why more do i music. need to be on stage why do i need to yeah yeah this is really what i need to be doing this is what i have to be doing mm-hmm. and it's like 
take it or leave it. Like, this is who I am. I am a mirror ball. Mm -hmm. And it's not perfect. It's maybe not, like, there's some unhealthy manifestations, (laughs) but it's what I am. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I love that I had a marvelous time ruining everything. Mm -hmm. That's very just, like, I'm owning it. I'm not, like, the love interest. I'm that... (laughs) <laughs> woman who's crazy <laughs> yeah and, i mean in the last great american dynasty you know she talks about her life paralleling this woman whose husband dies and she goes on to like have a crazy journey and mm-hmm. becomes this like mad woman that everybody speculates mm-hmm. about what she's doing and mm-hmm. not the- to mention the all the breakup songs that she's basically going through trying to process a breakup that hasn't even happened yet she said when she was writing these songs on folklore and evermore she was like what if it was basically like what if we broke up like I'm trying to process something that hasn't even happened. Mm. (laughs) Kind of like, it's fictional, but like, it could happen. Let's move on to Midnight's. So Midnight's is an album that has clicked for me in a very new way. So we'll do a whole Midnight's revisit and go deeper into this album as a body of work and not just these songs that we're going to mention here. But let's start off with Lavender Haze. This song always confused me. The metaphor just didn't really click. Like, how is the lavender haze creeping up on you? And how then do you want to stay in it if it's only just creeping up on you? And creeping is a very interesting word to use. Like, that doesn't sound like creeping is kind of like, (laughs) you know, it's not. I think she's wishing to stay in it. Also, I think she's trying to enjoy it while it does last. She's like, oh, I just want to stay in this I, while it's here. I do not. I, because I do not think that she was in the Lavender Haze when she was writing this. I think that she was pining for the Lavender Haze or maybe missing the Lavender Haze and the simplicity because I think maybe that's... You don't know when she wrote this. It was like the winter of after Red came out. So I think... Okay, so she says, I've been under scrutiny. You handle it beautifully. All this shit is new to me. No deal, the 1950s shit they want from me. You don't really read into my melancholia. The only kind of girl they see is a one night or a wife. Lots to unpack here, and we will get more specific into this when we do revisit Midnight's, but the song is not a love song. It's not what she described it. And I think that's why I always had trouble with it up until recently, because, you know, in that reel she posted, it sounded like we were going to get like a lover type of song. And then I listened to it and I was like, this doesn't sound like a love song. It's kind of a bop, but it's got like this dark (laughs) undertone to it or something. I don't know. It just didn't fully click for me, but it kind of seems to be more about the opposing forces in her that, you know, she wants that thrill of romance and she does appreciate that, but she also like she wants to be a pop star. She wants to be on tour. She wants to write albums and make music. And um, these things are not coinciding with each other in a symbiotic way for her at this period of time. Also, the first verse of that song is so interesting. And especially now, knowing everything that happens. Staring at the ceiling with you. You don't ever say too much. (laughs) That just sounds so like, what? I know, that's what I'm like, saying. Like, it, like, in, like, in a certain light, that's, like, it fits into the romance, but, like, in a new light, it's, like, <laughs> what are you thinking I think about? she was bored. I think she was, like, I just want to stay in the Lavender Haze, but I'm bored. And I'm... Seriously, you think that? Yes. When and she I'm, wrote this, she was out of it? But that was a long time ago. 
I think relationships can, you know, they can break down over the period of months and, and it and it can oh, yeah. go like that. You know, she could have moments where she's like, I want to brainwash you into loving me forever. And then she has moments where she's like, you don't ever say anything. Wait, <laughs> I just realized that this says they're bringing up my history, but you weren't even listening. I kind of always thought it said, but you aren't even listening. But now I see what you're saying because it's like, you weren't even listening. No, you're so sweet for that. <laughs> like, oh, remember the lavender haze? <laughs> mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. But she says, I feel it creeping up on me, which is in the moment. Yeah, and I think my understanding of this, what I think I'm forming an understanding (laughs) is she's saying, like, I just want to stay in that lavender haze. And before she says that, she says, I feel the lavender haze creeping up on me. I think maybe she's when she says lavender haze, she really just means, like, domestic life. She's like, you know, I have this. I, I could, this could just be enough, but he's not reading into my melancholia that this, this is, isn't enough for me. And she says, I just want to stay in that lavender haze. I think there are two meanings of lavender haze in this song. Yeah, I think the one that's text. creeping up on her, that's the one that she's, that's not enough. That's the reason that they're staring at the ceiling in fucking silence. And then there's the lavender haze she just wants to stay in, which is the part that inspires her to write music. You know, the part that's that she chases, the part that she uses as inspiration for her songwriting. The song is just not, I think, what she sold it to us as. Especially because, like, in Lover, I mean, it's a big shift from Lover to this because she went from, I want to marry you with a paper ring, <laughs> to I don't need to marry anyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then we go into You're On Your Own Kid. You're on your own kid goes from feeling lonely to feeling comforting. She's chronicling all the points in her life where, at a fork in the road, she chose music and her dreams. She followed her ambition over whatever was the safe thing. That's very important. Um, She sings, I didn't choose this town. I dream of getting out. There's just one who could make me stay all my days. Something different bloomed. Writing in my room, I play my songs in the parking lot. I'll run away. Like, this is just really that where the picture just, gets clear. And that, that's everything. Think about this with her. the first songs. Think about this with We Were Happy, Back Before I Had Somewhere to Be, with You All Over Me, Swore That I'd Get Out of Here, with 15, uh, the place in this Swore world. I Was Gonna Marry Him Someday, But I Realized Some Bigger Dreams of Mine. And then she sings, My dreams aren't rare. You're on your own, kid. You always have been. I gave my blood, sweat, and tears for this. Like I'd be saved by a perfect kiss. The jokes weren't funny. I took the money. I looked around in a blood-soaked gown, and I saw something they can't take away. There were pages turned, but the bridges burned. Everything you lose is a step you take. And that lyric, to me, directly parallels to, I found time can heal most anything, and you just might find who you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is really... I can hear the rain. Is it raining there? Mm-hmm. I can hear the rain and we're talking about midnight rain. It was midnight. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt to hit that note. Don't know why I did that. Um, I gave my blood, sweat, and tears for this. You know, she's looking back and saying, this is actually the thing that I've been chasing the whole time. Mm-hmm. This is the thing that I've made the most sacrifices for. You know, she's, if you think about like opportunity cost, she's put the most <laughs> into uh, her career. And so it makes sense for this to be the thing she continues to choose until she feels like she's gotten everything out of it that she wants, you know? 
It's interesting. I don't know. It's interesting. The song is very interesting. Um, and then we move on to Midnight Rain, but this is not the her, song her, we... Her, her, <laughs> This is not the song we will end with. We have one more after this. So in Midnight Rain, she says, he wanted it comfortable. I wanted that pain. And then this lyric is one of the most enticing, compelling to me. So she says... It came like a postcard, picture perfect, shiny family, holiday, peppermint candy, but for him, it's every day. So I peered through a window, deep portal, time travel, all the love we unravel, and the life I gave away. That sounds like she's looking into the future of when the relationship's over. (laughs) I never really thought about that until right now. (laughs) She's looking back on the past and what she did and what she knows she's going to do again in the future. (laughs) oh wow time travel deep portal i always thought about that as looking into the past yeah but all the love she's kind of reflecting on the past in this whole song and the life i gave away so so she's like maybe in the past she's looking through the future she's like i know i'm just going to continue to do this with my all my relationships that's really cool now i like that line a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) um And she also sings, he stayed the same, all of me changed like midnight. I guess sometimes we all get just what we wanted. Wanted being past tense is very interesting to me. And just. And it's like, you can either be like, just what we wanted or just what we wanted. Like, that's all I ended up getting. (laughs) There's layers to this that I can't even talk about. Um, And it will only make sense in years to come. (laughs) Honestly, yeah. Uh, Disregard what period of time this song is about and just try to redirect your focus on the fact that she was feeling it or remembering it. Like, this meant something to her. This song and these thoughts were keeping her up very recently. This feeling is relevant to her life now. I never think of him except on midnights like like this. She's having midnights like this. She's saying, I'm thinking of him now. This is relevant to me now. Why is this coming up? And then if you also think about through all of the rain and 2 a.m. motifs of pining away for love in her music, that was never going to be enough. She is the midnight rain. So the song... <laughs> Why that midnight rain was me. <laughs> and that midnight rain was me. I bet you're wondering how I got here. <laughs> so we're actually going to end this uh, little journey with Dear Reader. Kaya, would you like to read the Dear Leader Reader? Oh my god. Dear Leader. (laughs) Do you want to read the lyrics? Yes, and I feel like I had some good epiphanies when I was, when we were doing our Midnight's episode with this song. Yeah, if you haven't listened to our Midnight's breakdown. Reaction breakdown. The 3 a.m. version where Kaya explains Dear Reader to me line by line. (laughs) And is the reason now I understand that song and love it. Thank you, Kaya. I was on a mission. (laughs) (laughs) You were a girl on a mission. Ready to fly. (laughs) So, we have never take advice from someone who's falling apart. You should find another guiding light, but I shine so bright. Also, when this came out, people were like, this is this is a very odd song. Like, why is she saying she's falling apart? She's alone. No one's home. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I think that's another reason a I didn't. not a home. I think that's another reason I didn't understand this song in the beginning. And a reason why some pieces of Midnight's as an album just, like, didn't click for me. But they're clicking now. Things are clicking. She has this sensibility that I very much relate to that was kind of stifled. 
mm. during Love Her and a little bit during Reputation just because she was just so in literally the Lavender Haze. And But it's like there's bigger, there's a bigger identity, a sense of self, purpose, all that stuff than just an individual, any individual romantic relationship. Dear Reader is, I would say, the first time since 15 where Taylor, for an entire song, is directly addressing her listener. God, I love this song. She's compelling you, the listener, to find another guiding light, only to admit that she understands why you can't, because she shines (laughs) so bright. She's a mirror ball. The gift she has, the position she's in, the place that she has climbed tooth and nail, fought tooth and nail, the, the blood, sweat, and tears that she gave for this, it, it's almost inevitable, you know? You should find another guiding light, but I shine so bright. The spotlight's not on me anymore. I am the spotlight. Like, I'm shining the light, and you you can't help but look. Um, with Dear Reader, Taylor, you know, really is refocusing attention once more. She's shown where her focal point really is. She's a girl on a mission and she's made it to that big old city and she's big enough now where they can't drive her out. She's lasted. She knows the power she has and she's not giving it up to or for anyone. Just my ending thoughts is that she's more complex than just a love interest and she is, she's a somebody. She's just, she's as dynamic and as complicated as any other person. Mm -hmm. And that's the interesting part. That's the most interesting part. And that's, you know, really what this whole episode is about is Taylor being Midnight Rain. If you think about Midnight Rain as being this, all the midnights, you know, the 2 a.m. references in her music, all of the kissing in the rain references in the music, in her discography. She's the rain. She's not even the girl in kissing in the rain anymore. She is just the rain. Yeah, she's (laughs) all the moods, all the feelings, all the complexities, the opposing forces, the... You know, she's she's begging us to not put her in a box. And I think a lot of fans need to stop doing that. And just, I think everybody assumed that because Taylor was known or what they paid attention to that she was writing about, which was love, that's what she was known for. I think people assumed that that's, that was a goal she was reaching for. But for Taylor... Love is inspirational. It is not aspirational. Her aspirations have always been about her music. And semi, semi related to this, semi unrelated, but I know that people were attached to her relationship because she was writing music and that's the power of her songwriting is that she made you feel the emotions and the love that she had for this person, but that's her music. You know, like, mm-hmm. we are not that's in that what, relationship. That's what the reason for all of this is. Yeah, it's about the music and applying it to your own lives. And I love that she's been saying that at her past few concerts. Mm-hmm. It's like, I would, I, they, I'm glad that she's saying that. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that people and are hearing how, her, that from her. Yeah, and how she said, you guys have changed every single song for me. And it's about us. Like, oh, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of the fans who joined post-rep, I think, just have this notion that it's like, that's just part of the culture of being a Taylor fan now is being invested in that specific relationship. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us has been here, have been here way longer, and that's not. It's just a piece of the puzzle. None of the songs that she wrote about that relationship she was in are devalued or cheapened or weakened. 
just because mm-hmm. that relationship ended. Like that's why her songwriting is so powerful because she can write an entire song about just a little moment. And mm-hmm. these songs are about moments and not so much people. So just redirect that the only the only people that really matter in her catalog is her. Taylor is a complex narrator. You know, <laughs> she's contradicted herself in her own music, but you also can see the growth if you look for it, if you pay attention to the lyrics. And I think that we all need to collectively try to shift focus from who she is writing about and start to glean a bit more insight into who she is as our narrator and the wisdom that she is imparting upon us as the listener. Uh, Okay, I hope you guys really liked this episode. This was really fun to write. We have thoughts like this all the time. And I know most of our episodes so far have just been like album breakdowns and tour breakdowns, but you can expect many more episodes like this where we just like really expand on a thought on her music (laughs) and talk about it for a long time. Mm -hmm. If you are not already subscribed to the podcast, please subscribe. We would love to have you here. And if you want to leave us a glowing five-star review, that would be awesome. Wonderful. And don't forget to call into the podcast. We have a link in our show notes and you can call in, leave us a message, leave a message, make it hot. (laughs) Oh my God. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) And follow us on Twitter at SwiftyPod13 and Instagram at FurtherExplanationPod to stay up to date on new episodes. And seriously, thank you so, so, so much for being here, for listening. Um, We appreciate it so much. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.